Coming up on today's episode of The Virtual Couch, is laughter actually the best medicine? Also, I'm going to tell a few jokes and tell my most embarrassing story. And we'll also talk about what to do if you don't think that you're very funny to begin with. That and more coming up on The Virtual Couch. Okay, uh, more email feedback before we get to the show. And this one is so good. This one is um, is my favorite. I know we're not supposed to have favorites. Each and every email is very important to me, just like all of my kids. But uh, you're going to like this one a lot. It says Tony, and I did get permission from the, uh, the author of this email. Tony, therapy is like a bathroom in the middle of a long run. They already have me right there. I've got plenty of stories about bathrooms in the middle of a long run. Uh, but the person goes on to say, just uh, just wait to let you know you're making a difference in my life. My wife first introduced me to your podcast a year or so during a rough period of time for both of us. Discussing your episodes has broken the ice for some much-needed conversations between us, which I'm so grateful for. I really am. Um, back to the email. That alone has been amazing. I'm using BetterHelp, thanks to you. I live in a small town. Let me just say, that would be betterhelp.com slash virtual couch. Please, please go there. If you're going to uh, take a look at betterhelp.com, please go to betterhelp.com slash virtual couch. It really helps the podcast. But he says, I'm using BetterHelp thanks to you. I live in a small town and the counselor options are slim. Plus, I never saw myself as somebody who needed therapy. I came close a few times to setting up appointments, but I always backed out. BetterHelp.com slash virtual couch is so easy. Before you can have a second thought, they have you matched up. I love that because the uh, that process is very easy on BetterHelp.com. The barrier to entry is so low. I've been using it for a few weeks now, and I know it's going to make a difference in my life. Now to explain my crude analogy. My wife and I are training for a marathon. During the long run, we were catching up, and I was telling her about my experience with BetterHelp. A few miles later, we were passing a bathroom. I tried to tell myself I could tough it out, and I didn't want to stop and break my rhythm. Boy, have I been there. One of these days, I'm going to tell a story about uh, why I hold a Strava record in the town of Davis during a one particular one-mile stretch of a half marathon that has to do with exactly this concept. But that will be a very vulnerable uh, story for me. Back to the email. But I tried to tell myself I could tough it out and didn't want to stop and break my rhythm. I told myself I was tougher than that, but I stopped. After, I ran faster, felt better, and was glad I stopped. Therapy is the same. I was telling myself I wasn't that guy and that I could tough it and that I could tough it out. Now that I'm going, I feel better, and uh, it's worth the brief pause on life. Keep up the good work. So thank you for that email. Again, these are coming in pretty regularly now, and I'm grateful for that. So please go to betterhelp.com slash virtual couch, and uh, just know that uh, that betterhelp.com, over 500,000 people have already signed up, done this before you as well. Um, they're going to betterhelp.com slash virtual couch, getting the help they need, even the help that they didn't know they need, as we learned about in this email today. There's a broad range of expertise in the counselor network that might not be available in local areas. Uh, it's available for clients worldwide. You can log in to your account anytime and send a message to your therapist. You get timely and thoughtful responses. You can schedule weekly video or phone sessions so you won't have to sit in an uncomfortable waiting room, even though my waiting room is very nice. I will admit that, but uh, but some some aren't. Or you're, you, might, you don't want to run into somebody you know, but BetterHelp will assess your needs, match it with your own licensed professional therapist, and you can often start communicating in less than 24 hours. And uh, they also have scholarships. So if you are struggling financially, but you really want that help, um, betterhelp.com slash virtual couch, go through there, sign up, and uh, you will find out that there are a lot of um, options for you on betterhelp.com slash virtual couch, even if you are struggling financially. And uh, and I actually have coming up later this week, I have one of the um, a, a kind of a big deal at betterhelp.com. 
and they're coming on to talk about the whole um, experience of BetterHelp, and I'm really excited for you to hear that interview. It, it, it's it's going to sound a little bit advertising, but man, we get into the nuts and bolts of how it works and uh, signing up for accounts and the way the therapists work and all that, so I'm, I'm really excited to share that interview coming up later this week. Um, there's a special offer for Virtual Couch listeners. You get 10% off your first month at betterhelp.com slash virtual couch. So what are you waiting for? Go sign up today. For the virtual couch, I'm your host, Tony Overbay. I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist, certified mindful habit coach, writer, speaker, husband, father of four, ultra marathon runner, and creator of The Path Back, an online pornography recovery program that is helping people like you reclaim their lives from the harmful effects of pornography. If you or anyone that you know is struggling to put pornography once and behind them for all, I messed it up again. This is about take four or five. We're going to go with this one. And trust me, you can put it behind you once and for all in a strength based hold the shame become the person you always knew you could be way, then please head over to pathbackrecovery.com. There you can download a short ebook that describes five common mistakes that people make when trying to get rid of pornography once and for all. Again, that is pathbackrecovery.com. We got to go with it. I'm going to be here all day recording intros and uh, taking my eye off the ball. I guess I thought I could just do this in my sleep and I need to focus a little bit more on that intro. So again, pathbackrecovery.com. And please visit Virtual Couch on Instagram. Now you can find the Virtual Couch page on Facebook. And previously, I was simply pointing people to Tony Overbay Licensed Marriage and Family Therapist page on Facebook. It is there as well. Go like them both. Why not? And if you have a minute and you have enjoyed any of the Virtual Couch podcast material, please do me a favor and rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast wherever you get your podcast. And if you do that and uh, shoot me an email at contact at tonyoverbay.com, I'll send you out a Virtual Couch uh, sticker or refrigerator magnet. Well, you get to choose, and I really appreciate those reviews. Those really do mean a lot to me. And please head over to TonyOverbay.com and sign up there to find out more about some really exciting news. Um, I mentioned it in the last uh, last podcast, my book. So I co-authored a book, and there is a release date. It's looking like early November. And I, I think last podcast opening was the first I had mentioned anything. And while, again, I will say it uh, over and over, it's not in the same vein as, as John Grisham or Stephen King. It's not necessarily a book club read or necessarily a page turner. I do think it's going to help a lot of people. The book is called He's a Porn Addict. Now what? An expert and a former addict to answer your questions. I will be playing the role of the expert and former virtual couch guest Josh Shea is the former addict. And I'll have a link to Joshua's episode in the show notes. But this is a project again. I, I mentioned this last time I was honored to be a part of. We answer a lot of questions and they are broken down into chapters and neither of us know what the other person answered. And it's uh, it's already getting a lot of great um, feedback, pre-release feedback and being completely transparent. Again, I've just been overwhelmed by this whole process. We had planned on submitting the manuscript and getting rejection letters, but we got several offers for this book, and uh, I cannot wait for it to to be published. And and there's other books that are coming after that, but I'm just really, really excited to have this out there, and I think it is going to be able to help a lot of people. I I hope it's going to be able to help people understand this concept of betrayal trauma, what the person who has been betrayed is going through. And Josh is going to give some insight on what the kind of the addict's point of view. But I think it's going to be good for people that are obviously going through uh, some type of betrayal trauma or uh, disclosure. But it's also going to be good for, I believe, therapists, clergy, people who are in positions that uh, that do get to counsel and talk with others who might be going through this. And uh, hopefully it'll be a resource that they can hand out to a client 
or someone that is in their office that is trying to make sense of something such as uh, kind of a disclosure of betrayal. And uh, let's, let's, let's get going today. I'm, uh, I'm ready. This is going to be a fun one today because today I'm talking about humor and I am going to, I'm going to try to refer to several different jokes that I found on the internet because uh, we're going to get to this in a little bit, but one of the articles that I'm referencing today, an article called Humor and Psychotherapy by a, a former, or not former, a fellow LMFT, Laura Johnson. She makes, well, let's, let's kind of go right here. The first uh, line that she talks about in this is she says, I enjoy humor, even though I've never been much of a joke teller. She said, I'm included in the 98% of people who say that they can't tell a joke because they don't remember them. And so I just was already drawn to that 98% of people who can't, uh, who can't remember jokes, so they don't tell them. And this, this article that uh, she wrote refers a lot to, there's a, an association for applied and therapeutic humor, uh, and it is AATH.org. And, and let's even talk about that. The definition of humor, according to the Association for the Applied and Therapeutic Humor, is humor is any intervention that promotes health and wellness by stimulating a, play, a playful discovery, expression, or appreciation of the absurdity or incongruity of life situations. And so there are uh, researchers, um, their golden and Borden leaders in the counseling field indicate that uh, they, they typically plan to use humor going into a therapy session as well as use it spontaneously. And I am one who very much believes in bringing humor into therapy. So with that said, I wanted to kind of uh, intersperse. Let's go to this. Let's think about this concept of jokes. Are you one who remembers jokes or do you not remember jokes? Because a lot of jokes you don't necessarily find funny. So I was I did a little bit of digging and I wanted to, again, insert some jokes uh, within the podcast today. And I thought, you know, I'm going to show how bad just jokes are and and that they really are just these kind of groanier, you know, groaner material. But I, I got to be honest, I, I just did a Google search for I think it was funniest jokes or that sort of thing. And man, I'm kind of laughing at the ones that I found so far. So before I get to, I've got a story I want to read and uh, or I want to talk about, but I also want to get to um, this article, uh, Humor and Psychotherapy by Laura Johnson. But with that said, did you know that there is a what has been deemed uh, and study, a study was conducted in search of the best joke ever and by millions of votes. And this is it. This is according to a website called boardpanda.com. And I am going to include the link to this because this has 52 of the funniest two line jokes ever. But, but this one says before we even get to those 52 of the funniest two line jokes ever, this is the joke. I should have done this at the end, right? Should have buried this at the end. But here is the joke that was deemed after this study by millions of votes. This is it. Two hunters are out in the woods when one of them collapses. He's not breathing, so his friend calls 911. My friend is dead. What should I do? The operator replies, calm down, sir. First, make sure that he's really dead. There's a silence. Then a loud bang. Then back on the phone, the guy says, okay, now what? Yep, that is scientifically proven to be the best joke in the world. So uh, if you laughed at that, no need to be ashamed by your sense of humor. But so then the site, Board Panda, also, they, uh, they say that they scoured the internet for the most excellent funniest jokes and came up with a list and I cannot lie. They're kind of making me laugh. So we'll start off with a couple of these and I'm going to get back to a story that I want to tell about humor and we'll talk about humor and therapy today. And how much humor do you have in your life? As a matter of fact, we'll get to a little bit of data that also shows the other positive effects of humor because there are a lot of positive effects of humor. So number one, uh, this is on board Panda. There's 52 of these, 52 of the funniest two line jokes ever. And I will not be reading all 52. The first one says, I told my wife she was drawing her eyebrows too high. She looked surprised. That actually made me laugh. I'm not going to lie. Uh, let me do a couple more of these. Um, this one's pretty good too. And the Lord said unto John, come forth and you will receive eternal life. But John came fifth and won a toaster. So these are actually funny. Now, I'm not going to say that I'm going to remember them, but I think that they're funny. 
So did those make you laugh? And if so, it's okay. If not, maybe it's early in the morning. Maybe those aren't your cup of tea as far as uh, laughter goes. But before I get back to this article, let me talk about another article that I had queued up here as well. This one's off of helpguide.org, and it is called Laughter is the Best Medicine. And in this article, it talks about the actual benefits of laughter, that it is true laughter can be considered a strong medicine. Not only does it draw people together in ways that trigger healthy physical and emotional changes in the body, but it strengthens your immune system, it boosts your mood, it diminishes pain, and it protects you from the damaging effects of stress. Nothing can actually work faster or more dependably to bring your mind and body back into balance than a good laugh. Humor can lighten burdens, inspire hope, connect you to others, keeps you grounded, focused, and alert. But here is how laughter is good for your health. So laughter actually relaxes the entire body. A good hearty laugh relieves physical tension and stress, leaving your muscles relaxed for up to 45 minutes after. Laughter boosts the immune system. So laughter decreases stress hormones and increases immune cells and infection-fighting antibodies, thus improving your resistance to disease. Laughter triggers the release of endorphins, the body's natural feel-good chemicals. Endorphins promote an overall sense of well-being, and they can even temporarily relieve pain. Laughter protects the heart. Laughter improves the function of blood vessels and increases blood flow, which can protect you against a heart attack and other cardiovascular problems. And here's a fun one. Laughter can burn calories. So it is no replacement for going to the gym or a long run, but one study found that laughing for 10 to 15 minutes a day can burn approximately 40 calories, which could be good enough to lose three or four pounds over the course of the year. So laughter will make you lighter, literally. Laughter lightens anger's heavy load. Nothing diffuses anger and conflict faster than a shared laugh. Looking at the funny side can put problems into perspective and enable you to move on from confrontations without holding on to bitterness or resentment. And laughter may even help you live longer. A study in Norway found that people with a strong sense of humor outlived those who don't laugh as much. The difference was particularly notable for those that were battling cancer. So uh, talking about laughter uh, as well can lighten the load, lighten a heavy load. And when I think about that, when I wrote down a couple of examples I wanted to, to talk about today, and uh, long ago, these are all very, very long ago examples, and I will change uh, certain details, of course, so I will be protecting confidentiality. But long ago, when I was in my uh, early, early, early therapy days, we're talking very, very early when I was working with a lot of mandated clients. I remember one of the first couples that I worked with, and, uh, and they were getting angry in a session. And I was trying to bring some order to the session, and, and at some point, the, the male in the room decided that he was going to get up and make a very, very dramatic exit. So as he stood up, he, uh, he opened up the door. I think he said a couple of choice words over his shoulder as he left. And then as he left, he slammed the door and the door hit him on the heel and then kind of just did that thing where it went, you, you know, kind of went back into the room. And I remember just looking at my, uh, the, the woman who was in the room with me as well. And it had gotten pretty intense there for a second. But then that, you know, the, the hitting the door on the back of his heel, he walks out. And I just remember looking over there saying, I don't think that went the way that he was planning on it go, going. And we just we kind of laughed. So that really helped uh, kind of lighten that uh, that heavy load. So let me go back to this article, Humor and Psychotherapy by Laura Johnson. So humor can also be useful in therapy in a couple of different ways. One is an assessment tool and one as a therapeutic tool. And what I love about this article is this is legit research based around humor. So both of those statements were backed up by uh, some studies done by Raines and Allen and uh, another one in by a study by Golden and Borden. And so humor can be used in these ways to strengthen the rapport between the client and the therapist. Facilitate communication, keep the client focused, and make the counseling process more interesting. Assess the client's degree of uh, psychological functioning. Enable the client to change to a more useful perspective by seeing the world's absurdities. I really enjoy that one. Offer the client a less painful perspective of a painful problem. Or add to the client's social repertoire of coping tools. 
and then reduce stress and tension during a therapy session. And so I really do enjoy a couple of those concepts in particular. And one of those from a therapist standpoint is to assess the degree of of psychological functioning. And what I mean by that is there are times where someone can be so downtrodden, so flat, have such a flat affect that uh, that humor is definitely not going to be the tool to use. And so if you're doing an assessment, you can tell sometimes that that person is uh, their emotional baseline, as I like to say, is so low that uh, even humor can't can't penetrate that affect. I found that humor can also be really effective when people are getting pretty intense, especially in one-on-one sessions. And what I found, uh, the example that I wrote down that, that comes to mind is a lot of people talk about uh, things that they have texted their partner or texted a parent or a friend or those sort of things, and the texts become very intense. And so if someone will actually pull out their phone, there's a couple of things that I find that have happened over time. One is that the person will be reading the text to me and perfectly normal part of therapy. And they're saying, you know, I said this and then I said this. And I love when during that process, someone finds out that they weren't very clear in a text where they might read a text over and they're saying, oh, man, okay, I I think I see what happened here. Yeah, this didn't this didn't go the way I wanted it to or uh, darn autocorrect replaced a word that now makes the context completely different. So I get to hear that one often, too. Um, I also I also I remember a client very well at one point, And this person was talking about whenever they would talk about texting someone and they wouldn't bring up their phone, they would do a very, very uh, angry thumb typing um, motion. And so at one point they it was this thing where they realized Wow, I don't think that I actually uh, aggressively text that 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 bad. I don't think that I'm sitting there just hammering away at the uh, phone with my thumbs that frantically. And that led into I almost feel like we did a little bit of a comedy bit for about two or three minutes about other things, and it went to the the good old classic when somebody's showing you that they're driving, when they're mimicking that they're driving, and they're moving the wheel back and forth. If you're actually in the car with that person, that you're uh, you get pretty seasick because I'm sure that you'd just be wobbling all over the road. But I loved in that in that scenario the one I'm thinking of in particular when the person realized that they don't actually angry and uh, aggressively um, text with their thumbs the way that they were showing from that day forward, whenever they would talk about texting someone, they would say, and there I was aggressively thumb texting again. And it, it would just bring, it brought humor. It was nice. It was very nice. Okay. I think it's time to jump back over to the uh, board Panda site and do a couple more of these. Uh, here's another one of these two line jokes. I threw a boomerang a few years ago. I now live in constant fear. It's almost worse when I just hear the silence in my headphones. Uh, here's one. My wife accused me of being immature, and I told her to get out of my fort. <laughs> okay, that would make me laugh. Uh, okay. You don't need a parachute to go skydiving. You need a parachute to go skydiving twice. These are actually really good. Uh, okay. Parallel lines have so much in common, it's a shame that they'll never meet. I feel like that one could be used in a relationship setting. Uh, maybe just a couple more. Someone stole my mood ring. I think you see where this one's going, right? Someone stole my mood ring. I don't know how I feel about that. And uh, my grandfather has the heart of a lion and a lifetime ban at the zoo. Okay. <laughs> I really didn't let myself read these before all of them. That one makes me laugh. Those are funny. Humor is a, humor is a good thing. Uh, back to this article. Timing is everything. So humor must be used properly to be most effective. If humor is used too soon, then a therapist might be viewed as somebody who is insensitive to the client's concerns. Uh, maybe I've had that happen a time or two. And Golden and Borden, the uh, researchers explain that humor can be inappropriate in counseling under certain situations. When it is experienced as disrespectful or could offend the client, when it makes a client feel like they're not being taken seriously, when it's used too frequently and becomes boring, when the counselor uses it to avoid dealing with client anxieties, 
man, you know, and I felt that one too. If you remember the, or remember, I, I don't like when, if you've listened to all of my podcasts, I promise you, I never want to be that guy, but I did an episode with Julie Lee from ICU talking about anxiety. And when she was on my podcast, she, she got pretty emotional and uh, it's on the YouTube video that of uh, the interview, but she, she got really emotional and it was a very touching moment. And I don't even remember what I said because, and, and I'm a therapist. I mean, this is what I do every day, but I don't know if it was because I felt like, okay, we're on a podcast or, but I think I, I bailed myself out of that one with humor instead of kind of sat there in that moment. And uh, yeah, I've had a lot of good feedback and she's told me she has as well of that moment in that. Uh, and I wish I could go back and do that one over and kind of hold her in that moment a little bit more instead of going to a joke to uh, to to avoid dealing with the anxieties in that moment. Um, other times where it may not be appropriate when a client views it as irrelevant to his or her reasons for being in counseling. And then the last one is when it is inappropriately timed. And I think that if you've been in a, any any kind of good friend relationship or uh, or even a romantic relationship, that there are going to be times where somebody will will try to crack a joke. And uh, you might even hear the good old phrase, or, you know, well, you think this is funny? And, and that, that can be really difficult because especially when I see that in couples counseling, I understand that at times that's one of those, let's, let's step back and kind of seek first to understand to see what was happening there. Because I think a lot of people do use humor when they are, when they feel anxiety kind of uh, palpitating in the room and they will use humor to try to, to just, um, I don't know, disengage or disarm their partner and not, not necessarily always in a negative way, but it can be viewed that way when somebody is really opening up. Uh, so ways that uh, therapists use humor with clients. So there's a lot of good ways to use humor in counseling without needing to be a comedian. One of the key ingredients for humor is the ability to be childlike. That is from a study by Godfrey in 2004. Specifically, a counselor, coach, or other healing professional could. And I like some of these suggestions. It says, one, ask your client, how would an eight-year-old see this situation? To help your client reframe the issue into a less troublesome perspective. And I feel like that one can be helpful even when in, in couples counseling. When a couple is really struggling to to really understand each other and almost to kind of break it down to how would an eight-year-old see the situation. Um, another, another example is encourage your client to keep a humor journal every night or once a week recalling things that made them laugh or an amusing incident that happened that day. And I love the, uh, the idea of this. I, I honestly have never done this before. I do plenty of gratitude journals. I do things where people are journaling just to, just to try to pick out a couple of positives throughout the day. But I've never thought about creating a humor journal to recall things that made them laugh or an amusing incident that happened that day. There's uh, some data that I could not get back to, I couldn't find, but I believe it said on average that a child laughs a couple of hundred times a day, an adult uh, maybe 10 to 15 times a day. So I would love for people, especially when we see these therapeutic benefits and these health benefits of humor, to be able to, to seek out more humor throughout the day. And I believe that it is there. I think it's, uh, it's around us. Another one, encourage your clients to watch funny films, read joke books, or attend comedy shows. If you've never been to a good stand-up comedian, uh, they are really funny. And I know that sometimes people can be worried about offensive language if that's, uh, if that's not their thing. But you can definitely find G-rated or PG-rated comedians. Ask your clients to share an amusing anecdote or observation during the session. And I enjoy that one. Now, that one is one that I try to do quite often. And I will even say, hey, anything, uh, anything fun happened this week? Anything funny? Anything humorous? Anything come to mind? And oftentimes, I feel like that's a great way to, to kind of get a conversation started. And when I am doing coaching for, let's say, um, relationships, I think that's a fun one, too. Just instead of just saying, so tell me about your childhood or tell me about your parents, that a lot of times it's, uh, hey, tell me, tell me about your humor. Tell me what, uh, what, what do you think is, what, what do you find funny? Do you have a favorite joke? Um, give the client a cartoon that touches on a problem in a more playful way. I grew up a child of the far side 
comics. And I, I can those I can think of. I can think of, of a few of those that make me laugh every time. I remember one in particular where some uh, some spiders are down at the bottom of a slide, and I think they say something effective. You know, if we pull this off, we'll eat like kings. And I just remember humor always meant a lot to me. Set up your offer uh, your office with humorous stimuli such as books, calendars, cartoons, props, and posters to improve the weight and cheer up your clients. That is something I have not done that I think that I could probably do a little bit better job of. Sometimes I do feel, though, if I'm being very honest, very vulnerable, is uh, once I know a client, um, then I feel like the humor comes out a lot easier. And when people are coming in at times, especially for first sessions, especially when they haven't been to counseling, I know that can be a little bit intimidating. So if I was sitting there with a, you know, a clown nose and some of those uh, eyes that have the... I don't know, the slinkies coming off of them. That might not be the idea the, the, of what they were thinking of or as a therapist. Uh, write a laughter prescription asking your client to read their favorite comic strip every morning. Um, ask your client to develop a humor first aid kit, including things that might make her laugh or bring a smile to his or her face. Or start a smiles-to-go jar filled with humorous quotes and anecdotes that clients can take with them when they arrive or leave your office. Now, I like the idea of that one a lot, and even to have that one at home. I think that's not a bad idea, a smiles-to-go jar, which is not done, not a bad thing. Um, I think that uh, that is perfect timing to jump back over to Board Panda. This thing's kind of cracking me up. All right, um, and I'm just going to read these. Some of these might not be good. Women only call me ugly until they find out how much money I make. Then they call me ugly and poor. Okay, I see what they did there. I didn't see that one coming. Um, all right, here's another one. You're not completely useless. You can always serve as a bad example. All right, kind of not as humorous, but perhaps a little bit sad. Uh, I broke my finger last week. On the other hand, I'm okay. Okay, I like that one. Apparently someone in London gets stabbed every two seconds. Poor guy. Okay, I saw that one coming. Um, a Roman legionnaire walks into a bar, holds up two fingers, and says, five beers, please. That's funny. He's lost his fingers. Um, someone stole my Microsoft office, and they're going to pay. You have my word. Okay, Microsoft humor. That was kind of funny. One more. I tried to catch fog yesterday. Missed. Whew. I feel like I need uh, what's the rim shot? The little drums. That would have been uh, that would have been nice there. Uh, okay, developing your own sense of humor. Humor can be powerful medicine, but only if it's a regular part of one's life. So in order to share the lighter side of life with others, it helps if you actively seek out things that make you laugh. And I love this concept from a therapeutic standpoint. A lot of people, a lot of people that I work with say that they wish that they were more humorous or that they could be funnier. They, they enjoy people that bring a lot of humor into a room. And I feel often that people say that, well, I guess I'm just not funny. And I, I have to pull the acceptance and commitment therapy card out here. So if a, if a value based goal of yours is humor, uh, or if you're, if a value of yours is humor, then setting a goal based on that value will, will can be very productive. So if you set a goal to become more funny, to be funnier when you are interacting with people, then uh, then it's well, I haven't been very funny growing up. Then that just becomes a story my brain is trying to hook me to. We're not even worried if that story is a true or false story, but is it a productive story? on you becoming more humorous or funnier. No, it's not very productive. So so then if it's, uh, well, I don't even know where to look, I don't know how to, how to get myself to become funnier, then again, those are just stories my brain is trying to fuse me to. If I can buy into one of those stories that I don't know where to look, then I, can, then I don't have to do the hard thing, which is to continue to try to be funnier. So one of the things that I have found in therapy which I think is pretty uh, pretty exciting, is when people are struggling with things such as anxiety or depression, a lot of times they do tend to gravitate towards sadder songs, sad movies. And if that is the way that you want to process, I totally... Uh, I'm, I'm going to be right there with you. Client-centered therapy. Uh, I, you know, Supporting your will of self-determination. 
But where I'm going with this is I've also seen a lot of people talk about if they just start to watch, and, and I'm telling you, the, the office is must be magical when it comes to depression or anxiety. But I have, I just uh, met with somebody a couple weeks ago that said they've watched the entire office series. Uh, they said 15 times. I'd heard uh, 8, 9, 10, even up to a dozen before. So this one might be the record. And so I think to the outside, someone might say, what a waste of time. But uh, to somebody who is struggling with anxiety or struggling with depression, and they turn to these characters, and I did an episode a while back on parasocial relationships where you form relationships with characters, um, characters on TV or in movies, even on things like Instagram, that sort of thing. But you form these uh, parasocial relationships, and so if you take one of those in a positive way, let's say the character's on the office and you're feeling down, and that is your kind of almost comfort or go-to, and it makes you laugh, we've already identified the health benefits of laughter, then that can be, you can see how that can be a positive thing. That can also, if that is the type of humor you enjoy, the more that you are, you can almost look at yourself as putting time in the lab so that you are going to, um, you're, you're almost like working out your own sense of humor. Uh, all right, let me go to a couple of uh, let me go to a couple of other of these board panda jokes. Um, just say okay. Wait, let me say this one. Um, oh, how does Moses make his coffee? He brews it. He brews. Anybody? Uh, didn't even know I left, did you? So a little little bit of a heads up there. The board panda article with the jokes that I was referring to does have a few that are not necessarily ones that we want to read um, to the kids if they're in the car. Okay, I want to wrap things up today by going back to the helpguide.org article on laughter as the best medicine. And so talking about how laughing together can strengthen relationships, shared laughter is one of the most effective tools for keeping relationships fresh and exciting. Uh, all emotional sharing builds strong and lasting relationship bonds, but sharing laughter also adds joy, vitality, and resilience. So here are a few ways that you can continue to develop, whether it's with your laughter muscle, your humor muscle, your funny bone. Be more spontaneous. Humor gets you out of your head and away from your troubles. Let go of defensiveness. Laughter helps you forget resentments, judgments, criticism, and doubts. Release inhibitions. Your fear of holding back is pushed aside. And I think that can be in the way of a lot of people's humor is this, uh, these inhibitions or worried about what other people will think. And laughter is one of those things that when, when something truly strikes you as funny, then those, those inhibitions are released. Um, laughter also helps you express your true feelings. Deeply felt emotions are allowed to rise to the surface. And in this helpguide.org article, they also talk about laughter being a, a powerful tool for managing conflict and reducing tension when emotions are running high. With romantic partners, friends and family, coworkers, you can learn to use humor to smooth over disagreements, lower everybody's stress level, and communicate in a way that builds up relationships rather than breaking them down. So how to bring more laughter into your life. Laughter is your birthright. Uh, according to this article. I love it. A natural part of life that is innate and inborn. Infants begin smiling during the first few weeks of life and they laugh out loud within months of being born. Even if you did not grow up in a household where laughter was a common sound, you can learn laughter at any stage of life. So uh, set aside time to seek out humor and laughter as you might do with exercising and go from there. Eventually, you'll want to incorporate humor and laughter into the fabric of your life, finding it naturally in everything, which is one thing that I, I believe truly does bring more, uh, more zest in life is that is finding out, finding the humor in life. So uh, according to this article, here are some ways to start. Smile. 
Smile is the beginning of laughter, and like laughter, it is contagious. When you look at someone or see something that even mildly pleasing, practice smiling. Instead of looking down at your phone, look up and smile at people you pass in the street. The person serving you a morning coffee or the coworkers that you share an elevator with, notice the effect on others. And I, I believe this wholeheartedly. I like to be the guy that when you uh, walk uh, down the hallway, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to meet your eye. I'm going to smile. I'm going to say good morning or how are you doing? People like that recognition. If you know their name, say their name, but uh, smile. Smiling is contagious. Um, the next one, count, count your blessings. Uh, this article says literally make a list. The simple act of considering the positive aspects of your life will distance you from negative thoughts that block humor and laughter. When you're in a state of sadness, you have further to travel to reach humor and laughter. And I think that's a really fascinating concept. When you are in a state of sadness, you have further to travel to reach humor and laughter. So let's kind of keep that humor and laughter close by, whether it is through a list, a journal, as we kind of talked about earlier, but uh, keep, keep the laughter close by. And I love this one. When you hear laughter, move toward it. Sometimes humor and laughter are private, a shared joke among a small group, but usually not. More often, people are very happy to share something funny because it gives them an opportunity to laugh again and feed off the humor you find in it. When you hear laughter, seek it out and ask what's funny. There is nothing I enjoy more than telling uh, funny stories and sometimes over and over again. My, uh, I had Uncle Leon, uh, Leon Overbay, and I have a special episode that is coming up with him. He, he passed away a little while ago, but he was a professional storyteller, and there was nothing that would bring people together more than people would want Leon to tell his stories. Wherever you would go, they wanted him to tell stories, and so um, and that causes laughter, and I think people, people, again, are drawn toward laughter. This is a good one. Spend time with fun, playful people. These are people who laugh easily, both at themselves and at life's absurdities, and who routinely find the humor in everyday events. Their playful point of view and laughter are contagious. Even if you don't consider yourself a lighthearted, humorous person, you can still seek out people who like to laugh and make others laugh. Every comedian appreciates an audience. And I, I hope or I think that we all know people that are like that, that you can kind of just go to and they're going to they're gonna turn something into something funny. And even again, if that's not you, you can still gravitate toward that person. Because remember, uh, on the side, you're trying to develop your humor muscle as well. And bring humor into conversations. Ask people, what's the funniest thing that happened to you today, this week, in your life? And, you know, this brings up something I'm just thinking of right now. I've uh, been doing more of Q and a, uh, questions and answers on Instagram. So again, if you aren't following Virtual Couch, please go follow uh, Virtual Couch on Instagram and try to do a weekly Q&A. And I get a lot of them that, uh, that uh, have to do with what's the right thing to say or what's, the, what's a good way to ask or these concepts of, you know, how do you, how do you break the ice? How do you ask questions? How do you ask your kid about uh, how was your day today instead of just literally saying how was your day today or on a date when people feel like things have gotten a bit stale or stagnant? What are things you can say? So I love this one of what's the funniest thing that happened to you today or this week or in your life. So, so you know, creating opportunities to laugh. Uh, they have a list on this um, helpguide.org article, and it's, uh, it's you know, I love this one, read the funny pages. Is that when an older person um, read the comics? Seek out funny people. Share a good joke or funny story. Check out your bookstore's humor section. Host a game night with friends. That can always be fun. We did some game, uh, game night over the weekend with some people, and it uh, just makes you laugh. It really does. Play with a pet. Go to a laughter yoga class. I have not heard of these, but that sounds that sounds right up my alley. Goof around with children, do something silly, make time for fun activities. And I like that one as well. Uh, this one talks about the more you I mean, put yourself out there, the funny things are not necessarily going to happen if you're just kind of being stagnant sitting around home. Um, final ways to develop your sense of humor. Laugh at yourself. Share your embarrassing moments. The best way to take yourself less seriously is to talk about times when you too, uh, when you took yourself too seriously. 
I'm going to end with a story that I have been holding off on for a while, but I briefly mentioned it at one point and I've received a few emails on it. So I'm going to end with a, with a story that I'm going to be laughing at myself, but surround yourself with reminders to lighten up. Remember funny things that happen. Don't dwell on the negative, find your inner child, deal with stress. Don't go a day without laughing. So I really hope that the takeaway today is how important laughter can be. A lot of therapists listen to the virtual couch. I'm grateful for that. So I would encourage you if you don't already use humor in your practice to uh, to think about integrating humor and in your relationships, uh, people who are just uh, people listening that are married, that are dating, that uh, that are in the dating scene, that want a better relationship with their kids. Any of those look at how humor can bring not only joy, but it can also bring some physical benefits as well. And I hope that you can pull away from today's episode some things that you can do to uh, to be more humorous and to enjoy life a little bit more through laughter. Now, earlier in this podcast, I said that a way that you can bond, a way that you can find out more about somebody, a way that you can break the ice is to ask what's one of the funniest things that's ever happened to you, maybe what's one of the most embarrassing things that's ever happened to you. So I wanted to end by sharing one of my most embarrassing stories ever, although it is a story of great determination, of will, of grit. Of, uh, of amazing feats of strength and embarrassment. The story has to do, and sometimes I title this with, why am I in the still in the top 20 of all time in the Sycamore to Covell loop of Strava, the Strava app, in the sleepy town of Davis, California? So if you're not familiar with Strava to begin with, Strava is an, an app that will track your uh, to track your runs. I think you can do bike rides as well. And it's a little bit of a social media aspect so that when you are on Strava, you can share a run and you can see how your friends have done if they've done that same same run. And so what that means is there are these different segments within Strava and people will mark out these segments. So the segment can be anywhere from a couple hundred feet to several miles. And so then people actually then compare segments or how they did on these segments of a course. So this story has to do with the Davis Half Marathon. And in particular, this uh, this Sycamore to Covell loop, which was about a half a mile loop that I still to this day sit in 19th place in that segment. But at the time of this story, I actually made it into the top 10. So let me tell the story. Davis Half Marathon. The time was November of 2016, and it was with my then senior and high school daughter and two-time virtual couch podcast guest McKinley Overbay and my amazing wife, Wendy. We had decided that we were going to run the Davis Half Marathon, and McKinley had a goal of getting under two hours, a sub-two-hour half marathon. So we had trained a great deal. Wendy and McKinley and I had all trained together, and Wendy was, I think, shooting for maybe a two-and-a-half-hour finish that day. So it was raining, and we were, uh, we were cold. It had been really cold, and we were waiting in our car to stay dry. And for a long time, I had been uh, fortunate enough to have a sponsorship by a shoe company, so I didn't have to buy gear. I didn't have to buy um, my shoes. I didn't have to buy shorts, compression shorts, etc. But that, that shoe deal had run up. It was uh, it was an amazing thing, but it had it had run its course. They were kind of moving more toward legit athletes, not just old men who wanted to run hundreds of miles on the trails. So I had purchased my first set of compression shorts, and I can't tell you how long. And and I was a little bit disappointed with how much the compression shorts had cost. That is called foreshadowing, as a matter of fact. So I had uh, had these compression shorts. Um, we finally get out of. I had other shorts on over them, of course. And we get out of the car, and it is it is time to run. We're a little bit nervous. We've been in the car the whole time. Didn't really, didn't really get a chance to stretch out our legs because it was rainy and cold. And um, and the gun went off, and we were and we were off, and we were having a great time. I'm that guy at the beginning of a race that's kind of, you know, I don't know. I'm yelling, cramp, just kind of joking around, or are we almost there yet? Or you know, if uh, there goes the there goes my lead, those kind of things. Just try to get people chuckling. Actually, yeah, back to humor, right? So we're running, and we're a mile in. We're a couple miles in. I'm kind of noticing that uh, 
I don't know. I don't know if I maybe hadn't uh, taken the the nutrition part of the half marathon as seriously. This is a peak ultra marathon um, days, so there I was uh, eating a lot and running a lot. And as an ultra marathoner, probably not the best thing to admit, but uh, maybe my diet wasn't as dialed in as it could have been. So I think I'm really setting the stage to say, as we say in uh, in my home when the kids were little, I was having a little bit of tummy troubles. So I I. I again, this is my most embarrassing, hopefully humorous story. Uh, keep that embarrassing part in mind. So I will be honest. Approaching the three mile mark, I had maybe passed a little bit of gas, and let's just say that I was a little bit worried about the passage of the aforementioned gas. So as we got to that three mile mark, I see a porta potty there off to the side, and I tell McKinley that I need to make a quick pit stop and that she should go on without me. That should be very very brief. I'm just going to double check, make sure everything's okay. I hadn't told her that part yet. And I should be able to catch her within a quarter mile or so. So I get into the porta potty, and uh, man, okay. So uh, we'll spare all the details, but let's just say those compression shorts um, had given up the ghost. They, the the my worries, my aforementioned worries, were um, not unfounded. And so, in fact, these compression shorts were just going to be. Uh, they just got me through the first three miles. Bless their hearts. I appreciate the the efforts that they put in to help me do that. So it was difficult to kind of get the compression shorts off because you don't want to take your shoes off and you're in a porta potty and it's raining and it's wet. And so it takes me a little bit longer than I had anticipated. But then I'm ready for action. So I jump out of that porta potty and now I've got to catch my daughter. So I sprint. I sprint like I haven't sprinted in a long time. As a matter of fact, when I went back and looked at the Strava data just last night when I was thinking about possibly telling the story, I did see that I think that that mile ended up being, I think, like a 556 mile or 603 mile or something. And I don't run those kind of miles. I mean, when, you, when I'm a, I don't know, when you're kind of doing the ultra marathons, I'd kind of given up on speed quite, quite a while ago. Plus, I'm old. So I, I put this, uh, put the pedal to the metal. And I catch her, but it took me a mile to catch her. I didn't catch her until the four-mile mark. So on Strava, then, apparently, I had passed through a, a segment called Sycamore until Covell Loop, which is a, it's a half-a-mile loop. And at that time, when I went back and looked at the data, I was in the, I believe at the time, top five fastest Sycamore to Covell Loop um, segments ever in the history of Davis. And so when I looked here, and then we're talking three years later, it looks like I still sit in 19th place for that segment of all time. So uh, uh, we went on to have a wonderful run, and it continued to rain, but had a glorious time. I looked up the times. Uh, Mackie and I both finished in one hour, 57 minutes, and five seconds. So we got that two-hour goal, and we turned around, I think, when then we were going to try to go. I was going to go do a little ultra-marathon thing and try to run up the course a few miles, find my wife and run her back in. And when I turned around, she was crossing the finish line. So she finished at 2.05. So it was an amazing experience, just one that I did not end up with the compression shorts that I started with. So uh, there's uh, there's my most embarrassing story. So hopefully that maybe brought a little bit of humor and uh, hopefully lightened up your day. All right, I hope that you will have a wonderful, humorous day and week coming up. And I will see you next time on The Virtual Catch. Compressed emotions flying past Our heads and out the other end
discount price A million opportunities The chance is yours to take or 